We'll continue our series, God at the Movies, and this week we're looking at the movie Pinocchio. How many of y'all have seen the original movie Pinocchio? 1940, you guys are old. And uh, man, 1940, the second ever fully animated, full-length movie that was put out. The first one was Snow White in 1937, and Pinocchio came out in 1940. And we were watching it this week and thinking about if you were of an age to be able to be in the theater in 1940 and to see that and just the amazement of what animation and all that stuff going on, what it would have been like compared to today where we just kind of take that stuff for granted. And now we have humans and animation all together and all kinds of crazy stuff. But the amount of work that it would have taken. And uh, Pinocchio is actually written as a book, an Italian book, and it's actually originally meant the movie is uh, quite different than the book, actually. And the book is kind of like along the same themes as Animal Farm and some of those type of stuff that you had to read in school and everybody was like, ugh, because it's talking about different types of government. And actually, the guy that wrote it was kind of talking against the government of the day. But there were some themes that came out of that that Disney took and uh, expanded upon it. And one of the main things that came out of Pinocchio is the character matters. And uh, here is a young boy, uh, a puppet, um, created by a master uh, woods craftsman named Geppetto, and he has this wish that he desires that this wooden puppet would become a real boy. And while he's asleep one night, the, um, a fairy comes and grants that wish. And so the story begins with um, Pinocchio as a wooden little boy trying to figure out what it means to become a real boy, what kind of character he needs to have to have a real boy. And then he also gets adopted, Jiminy Cricket, who becomes his conscience. And one of the interesting things that Jiminy uh, Pinocchio asks the question, what is a conscience? And Jiminy Cricket jumps in immediately. He says, it's that still, small voice that everyone has but very few listen to. And I thought, oh, man, how true. And so the story is Pinocchio is going through life as a young boy, and he's trying to get to school. That's his very first thing that his dad wants him to do. But he's easily distracted. Maybe one of the first cases of ADHD. I don't know. But um, you see him moving, and he's easily distracted. And Jiminy Cricket is there as his conscience to help keep him on the path of straight and narrow, and that whenever temptation comes, to help guide him in the right decision, to choose between right and wrong. And so Pinocchio gets up the very next day, and his dad gives him a book with his ABCs and his 123s and sends him off to try to get him to school by himself. And he's skipping along, and along comes his first temptation. And how true that is to life is that many times temptation comes and we're just kind of going lucky about it and all of a sudden temptation just kind of hits us. And interestingly enough, in the Disney version of Pinocchio, 1940, the character's name is Honest John. Honest John is a fox who brings the first temptation to Pinocchio. Now, we can all see the symbology in all of that. But here, Honest John, he's kind of a little clever and kind of changes some of the words around. And the next thing you know, Pinocchio's not going to school, but he's actually going to become a movie star or an actor on stage. And so he's so excited about that. And then, obviously, that doesn't work out like he wants. And so he uh, gets an escape. The fairy comes and saves him and says, one more time, you have one more chance. And so he gets back to his dad, and he goes back to school, and he's on his way to school. And guess who shows up again? Honest John. Now, the first temptation was one of easy life. The second temptation is one that he gets to go to Pleasure Island. And at Pleasure Island, you can do whatever you want to do. And the theme is bad boys can go do what bad boys do, and there's no consequences. And so that sounds pretty good. And so Pinocchio and some of his buddies, they go to Pleasure Island, and they're part they're living it up, and we actually laughed at our house because 
boys were smoking cigars, and you would never have that in animation today. And so they're out there smoking cigars and having some suds with bubblies on top and um, enjoying all of that and playing pool and cards, all those things that lead to degradation in life. And uh, here they are, the second, uh, second temptation, and all of a sudden it begins, begins to get really late into the next day, and all of a sudden the conscience, Jiminy Cricket, catches up to Pinocchio. Pinocchio was always running away from Jiminy Cricket because he didn't want to hear his voice. And so Jiminy Cricket shows up, and the first thing that Jiminy Cricket says when he walks in to Pleasure Island, a place that had been a party scene right before, his very first words are, this looks like a graveyard. And how true that is, that so many times the things that we're drawn into that look like a playground with no consequences quickly become a graveyard for us. Well, he escapes. Jiminy Cricket gets him out of the Pleasure Island, and he gets out and he escapes, but he's already got donkey ears and a donkey tail. And so what's he trying to do now? He's trying to get back to Dad. And he finally finds Dad in a whale, and they escape. And the way that they get to safety, the final way that they get to safety, is Pinocchio actually gives his life for Geppetto. In the very next scene, Pinocchio gets life. The fairy comes back and gives him, says, you are now a real boy because you have shown that you're brave and truthful and honest. And that's what a perfect image for us this morning as we dig into Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and following, is this idea that to be guided by the Holy Spirit means that we have to submit ourselves, that we have to die to ourselves to experience the fullness of the human life that God has for us. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and following, and we'll kind of, we'll dig in there. And All throughout, Pinocchio is told, follow your conscience. This will give you life. Follow your conscience, and in this, you will find your God. And this morning, that's the question I want to ask of us, is who is our God? We have two things in life. We have two different polar opposites that are kind of pulling at each other. One is human nature. In Scripture, sometimes it's called flesh. Sometimes it's called the sinful nature. And then we have the spiritual life. And so Paul, in this passage in Galatians chapter 5, is showing us that there's a war that goes on. That at the moment that you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God takes residence with inside of you. And that from that moment, as followers of Jesus, as we pursue him every single day, there's a daily battle that we enter into. And that it's a struggle that we should struggle with, that we should be struggling with, as between flesh, our human nature, and our soul, and our spiritual nature. Now, our human nature is we have needs, we have desires, and we have impulses. And human nature in and of itself is not bad, it's not evil, but evil can come from it, from the desires and impulses that would actually harm ourselves and harm others. And our journey as followers of Christ is learning how we can hear the Spirit of God and allow us to mitigate and to control the desires and impulse of human nature so that we can fulfill the desires and goals of what God has for us. So that we don't have these shames, so that we don't have pain, so that we don't have regret, so that we don't hurt others. And actually, many times the Holy Spirit guides us to be for others and not to take from others. And so you'll see in this passage of what it looks like for us to be guided in that way. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, really in following, is about how we find on a daily basis by being guided by the Holy Spirit and submitting to him, we find freedom. Paul is kind of helping us see that in that battle, in that battleground, that we find freedom through that. 
A couple of verses that I want you to see before, because Paul is all throughout Galatians, is, is writing to the church at Galatia. Two verses that I want you to just kind of write down real quick. One is Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, and it says this, How foolish can you be that after starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Now here what Paul is saying is he's talking about those that, hey, the, the Judaizers have come along and said, hey, you've said yes to Jesus, but to be a perfect Christian then means to, to follow the law and to do the rules and to do the religious things. And so there's a movement within the church in Galatia to do that. And so Paul says, listen, why would you go back to doing the things of the law now that you find freedom in Christ? Pursue knowing Christ. And he's going to explain that in Galatians 5.16. And then he also reminds us that because we're his children... God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, taking residence like I talked out. And now what does our hearts say? When it cries out to God, we're not someone that we don't know, but we cry out, Abba, Father. The image is of one that we're able to crawl up in God's lap and speak to him and hear his heartbeat, and he whispers to us. So why follow rules when we can climb up in the lap of our dad and experience what it means to sit in the lap and have a relationship with Abba, Father? So in Galatians chapter 5, 16, who is our guide? So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what sinful nature craves. So this idea of let the Holy Spirit guide your lives literally means to walk, to walk this way. So that you remember that song, walk this way. Okay, sorry. You walk this way. But what that means is when you walk a certain way, you've established, you choose a lifestyle. So here Paul is saying, so that would you now as a follower of Jesus, would you accept the lifestyle of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? So you have the distinctiveness about you as a follower of Jesus. People look at you and they know that you are a follower of Jesus, that you are a disciple of his because you're sitting at his feet, studying him and knowing him. When you talk in the way that you love, you look and act and think more like Jesus. So that is a lifestyle. So as we begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we begin to find freedom. And what does that freedom allow us to do? Then you won't be found doing the things that your sinful nature requires, or human nature, those desires, that impulses that will hurt you and hurt others. If you walk by the Spirit, here Paul gives us a double negative, which I know is not good in English. I have some English teachers in here. A double negative. He literally, in the original language, it says, you will not not. Gratify. In other words, it is an impossibility to be walking in the power and to be hearing the Holy Spirit and submitting to the Holy Spirit and still choose the sinful desires of human nature in those moments of desires and impulses. You will choose the Holy Spirit way. You will walk this way in this path, in this pace, in this line, because you are being transformed, you are being changed, you're being directed, you're being sustained by the Spirit of God, because you're walking in this way. And this is actually a promise to us. And he says to us in this promise, the fulfillment of promise that you will not not gratify the desires of the sinful nature is dependent upon the implementation of the command, the command to walk. So this command, this thing to walk, is not just a suggestion. It's a command for us as followers of Jesus. Choose to walk this day. Choose this day whom you will serve and walk in this path. Therefore, you will not not gratify the desire. So it's this idea of here we are walking our path, and we're choosing it, and we're going this way. And there are those moments where things of life that are desires and impulses that maybe once before we would choose 
Now, because we're being directed by the Holy Spirit, we're not, we may be distracted for a second, but we choose not not to gratify them because we know that the end is we are moving in this direction. And here's this idea of, of war and warfare that Paul talks about. He says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. It's trench warfare that you have dug in and evil has dug in and they're shooting at one another every single day that you get up as a follower of Jesus and say, today is the Lord's day. My desire is to bring him honor and glory and fame through my life and through the things that I do. War happens. And that is something that we should acknowledge as Christians, not run away from, but acknowledge. And if, if we're not warring, then we need to ask the question, do I know Jesus or have I strayed so far from the path the evil one doesn't even concern himself with me? The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us the desires that are at the appetites, the longing for, the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature wants. We are participants in a war. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 and following, Paul says, gird up your loins, get ready for the battle. And he tells us the battle gear that we should be wearing because every single day is a battle if we're struggling with what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to gird up and to be guided by. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions, that you want. There's this tension going back like a rubber band going back and forth. Even Paul talks about it. He says, I want to do the right thing, but I struggle. And so he goes back and forth and talking about our human nature struggle against the Spirit is that this constant stress of we want to do what the Spirit wants and we're craving that, but our human nature, our flesh, craves this too, and so we kind of go back and forth. Every single moment is a struggle. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law anymore. This is one of the things that Paul is talking to the Galatians, is they've kind of gone back to, they've said yes to Jesus, but then these other people come in and say, here's some rules and regulations. And Paul is saying, listen, when you say yes to Jesus, and you begin to live guided life guided by and walking by the Spirit, you're going to resist the desires and impulses of the flesh, but also these religious people, I want you to know that the Spirit will guide you into the truth in a living in such a way that you will fulfill the law, not abolish it. That whenever you do things, you're not going to kill, you're not going to murder, you're not going to covet, you're not going to be envious, you're not going to... And all these different things because you are fulfilling the Spirit and the Spirit of God would not lead you into something that's contradictory from God the Father. And so Paul is telling them, listen, your conduct will be guided by the Spirit. Your conduct will always fulfill the law. For when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Like we know when people are messing up. We know when we're messing up. And there were actually pagan moralists who were writing books and writing little pamphlets at Paul's day that were saying, hey, listen, if you do this, this, and this, and this, then you are immoral. These are immoral things. So even the pagans were saying there's some things that we shouldn't be doing. And so here Paul is saying, as followers of Jesus, as someone of the Judeo-Christian social, sexual ethic, we know the results of being outside of the boundaries of God's law. Those results are very clear. And so he breaks them up into four categories of how the impulse are the results and the works that we produce. Here's the first one, is that there's a sexual ethic, the four parts. And then he also talks about religious heresy. 
He also talks about social conflict. And then he also talks about drunkenness and how drunkenness, as we talked about a few weeks ago, depresses us in such a way that we make unwise decisions in that state. And so Paul talks about that. He says, so those things are very clear. What are they? I don't, oh, let me go back. I messed up. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Those are the sexual things. And then he comes in and he says, hey, so if you think that you've kind of got it all figured out, now here, religious people, I want you to get this. Religious people, idolatry and sorcery is an issue. So these were religious practices in those days. And so sorcery actually sometimes says witchcraft, but it's where we get our word pharmacy. And so in those days, a lot of witchcraft and other things induced pharmacy. So they would, again, lower your mindset so that you would practice different things within those pagan religions. Then also he spends a lot more time on social conflict. That that would never happen with church, I know. We're talking about social conflict. He says hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and envy. All of those things have to do with social conflict. So all of us struggle with those things in one way or another. And Paul says those results of those things are very clear. And he also says, hey, drunkenness is an issue, again, is what we talked about, wild parties and other sins like these. He just says, hey, there's, there's a lot of things that if we are submitting to the human nature and the flesh, we will pr- pursue these things. And let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. What Paul is saying is the evidence of your life shows who's your God. And by who your guide is, we know who your owner is, who you submit to, and who calls the shots in your life. And he says, listen, if the evidence is this, consistently these things, then we need to question really and truly, have we said yes to Jesus? Because if we've said yes to Jesus, we're going to struggle with those things. Yes, we may be enticed by them and all that stuff, but we more than that, over time, our appetite is for the things of God. Then he goes to the other side, but... The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Even Jesus says, hey, good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit or no fruit. So here, the very first fruit that's produced is love. That that's what should define us as followers of Jesus, that people look at us and say, those are people that love well or are striving to love well. And every all of the other moral ethics that come out of this in this passage are built upon what love is, that we are to be Christians that are practicing love and it shows up in all the other characteristics. So joy. Joy comes from our relationship with Jesus, that all of the world could be falling down around us, but we have joy because we know Jesus. The other one is peace, that because the world is going down, because we have joy, we have peace. But it's also in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says within the church that Galatians, in Galatians, the people are such in social conflict and strife with one another that they're like dogs biting and devouring one another. So Paul is saying, listen, peace is like no biting and no devouring. That we should also have patience, that we have a long fuse before we explode, like that God has with us. That his amazing grace is that his kindness is what leads us to repentance. He could have a short fuse, but he has a long fuse with us. Also his kindness and his goodness. The fact that we're known for what we do for other people, not what we take from them. That we have open hands, not closed hands. Then also that we're faithful. 
that we're loyal and we keep our commitments, that we have a gentle spirit, which is the opposite of selfishness, and that we have self-control, which is the opposite of self-indulgence, that the spirit-filled life is not against the law. The spirit-filled life fulfills the law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature, of their human nature, to the cross and crucified them there. That every day when we get up and we say that the Holy Spirit is going to be my guide, the Holy Spirit is going to direct me, we are renouncing evil. Matter of fact, in the old days, whenever they would get baptized, they would say they would ask that even question. That would the final question that they would ask them in baptism: Do you renounce evil? And of course, the response is yes. I choose to renounce evil, and that is our call every day as followers of Jesus: is that we are pursuit of love and the fruits of the spirit, and not the fruits of the flesh or the human nature. We're renouncing evil. Because we're in pursuit of him. But we march in step. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow leading. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So he started off with a command and a promise, and then he here again he finishes this little part with a promise as well. That we find freedom in allowing ourselves to be led by and to be guided by and be directed by the Holy Spirit. That there are those moments where we're walking, that this walking and being led by is a military term of keeping step and marching in step. And we've seen it. Like you see those those militaries where there's a lot of people and they're marching in step. They're going together. They have a purpose. And here's that's the image that Paul is having for us is that we are so in step and in tune with the teaching and what the Holy Spirit has for us. We're moving in this direction, and he sets the line. He sets the pace. He sets the movement. He sets the direction. And that in that, there's actually freedom by walking in this way because he is guiding us, and it keeps us from the desires and the impulses that lead us off in other directions where pain, shame, regret, and hurt, and things about us begin to take over. Here Paul tells us, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. May your conscience, which we call the Holy Spirit, guide you and direct you. As you walk this way, that there are even moments where we're, we're guided and protected by him, and he kind of gives us a little bit of discipline. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses the illustration of a shepherd, and he talks about the tools of a shepherd, and one of the tools of a shepherd is a rod. And he would throw that rod, and it was built for him by him, the perfect weight, and he would practice with it, and he could throw it a long distance and hit a sheep. And exactly where it needed to be hit so it would redirect them because the sheep was about to go off the path. And here Paul is drawing upon a similar imagery and he's saying as we follow the Spirit, we're walking in that path and and keeping in step with Him. But he knows that there will be times where the shepherd will have to throw a staff and hit us and it will hurt for a moment. If you've ever gotten popped as a kid because you're doing something wrong, you know it stings in that moment. But it's a corrective sting and you know eventually That it comes out of love. And here Paul is saying to us, there's moments when we're walking along and their desire, impulse will be attracted and we'll go there. And that the Spirit of God throws his staff and boom, it hits us in the hip or wherever and brings our eyes back up to the thing that distracted us. It brings our eyes back to the cross and say, oh man, I'm so glad I didn't go here and do this again. I'm glad that the Spirit reminded me of what is ahead of me and to see the grass, the, the perfect pasture that's ahead of us to enjoy that so that we can rest and have peace 
and not have shame, pain, and regrets. So this morning, this is what I want to ask you. Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said yes to him? Or are you still trying to live a moral life and do it in your own strength? There's two options. We can not say, we can see that Jesus and say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to try to do a moral thing. But you're going to do it in your own effort. It's going to be a struggle and you're not going to be able to fulfill it. You're going to constantly be drawn by your desires and impulses and go those different directions. Or we said yes to Jesus and then at some point along the way, you've been at church long enough, you kind of got into the rules, and so you're checking off, I do this, I do this, and I do this, and you feel like you're in a dry, barren desert. And a lot of reasons that we're there is because we're so focused on the rules that are the different things that are good things, but we focus on what those things are supposed to be pointing us to, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And so maybe to refocus and to rethink, hey, I'm in the desert because I'm checking off rules instead of being in the presence of the one who provides the water, who provides the drink, who provides the life, provides the bread for me. And hopefully, my prayer is, that most of us in this room are in that place where we're on a daily struggle to fight the fight and renounce the evil. That we're in that moment of trying to find how can we live life and be God-honoring and struggle to fight and know that we know that we know that because we're in the fight, because we're struggling, that means that we're a child of God and He's working on us and that we're going to move from one battle and we may win it at some point. You're going to win that battle over whatever it is. And the hard thing is, is we've got another battle coming up. Because until we're done with this life, we're going to have battles to change us and mold us and shape us and transform us in the image of Christ. And there is stuff that God's got to slough off. And the only way that those things are sloughed off is through the battle, through the hard work, through the ching-chings of sword fighting and all that stuff. So that can happen so that in that moment you win the battle in the power of the Holy Spirit and then you move on to the next thing. And that in that you can say, I have victory. It's your victory and the power of the Spirit to move on to the next stuff. So that again, you begin to look and act and think a little bit more like Jesus. You're not dealing with those impulses and those desires that once used to attract you. You've won that battle. And we also know as followers of Jesus that we've already won the war. But we have battles and skirmishes along the way to look and think and act more like Jesus. May your God be the Spirit. Maybe you find freedom. In Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for Your Spirit. Father, that still, small voice that speaks to us, that many times we just, we hear, but we choose not to listen to. And Father, we've experienced those moments of hearing and not listening to and what happens as a result of that. And Father, hopefully for us, it it drives us back to not only hear, but to listen, to know that your voice, your words, your speech to us is caring for us. Even your disciplining words are caring for us and drive us in a direction of you and not the other things that distract us and hurt us. Father, I pray that we would, if we don't know Jesus, that we would say yes to Jesus today that we'd be in pursuit of that. And maybe we're in a a dry and barren desert that we've been pursuing all kinds of other things, thinking it's taking us to you, and, Father, that we've forgotten that it is about you. So if we've gotten caught up in some religious stuff, that may we set those things aside and and re-attune our hearts to you. And, Father, may you just give us courage. And every single day that in pursuit of you, it will be a fight. 
there will be things that we are drawn to, that our heart's attention, our eyes' attention, our soul's attention is drawn to, that look enticing in that moment. And that, Father, that we renounce evil in every single moment that we're struggling with those temptations, that temptation is natural. Fight through it. Jesus himself was tempted. Let us be reminded of that. If the, if the Son was tempted and win, we can, in the power of him, win as well. And may you be brought glory and honor and fame through the way that we march to the beat and the pace of the Holy Spirit. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.